Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey folks, welcome to Free Press Sports with Carlson. Sean Carlson, we got a we got a doozy of a guest today. We got we got the main man back, and he's here to tell us why the Lions are going to win the Super Bowl and why he loved your column so much about Jared Goff that he doesn't get enough respect. I think Dave is even coming around on Jared Goff being maybe not Patrick Mahomes, but I don't know, second-best quarterback in the league. Is that where we're at now? No, not even close. <gasps> and, you know, I, I got to be honest. I read the first three times Carlos wrote about Jared Goff being disrespected. I didn't read this last one, so, yeah, <laughs> it's been... It's been, it's been, uh, no, look, I mean, Jared, um, you know, he had a good season last year, obviously second half of the season, he, you know, wasn't great early on. Lions were one and six early on. And uh, that was the defense. He's yeah. I mean, it, it wasn't, yeah, but he also had turnovers and he stopped that in the second half of the year. And that's a big reason why the Lions those final 10 games went eight and two. And I guess, so the point being, you know, if he plays like he did those final 10 games, uh, the entirety of this season, the Lions are going to have a pretty good team this year. And he's, you know, he's had a good camp so far. Um, you know, I, I'm anxious to see what he does in year two of Ben Johnson's offense and see what that offense does. And, you know, with some of the, the young talent around him now, but uh, certainly not in Patrick Mahomes' class as a quarterback yet, though we will see uh, less than a month from now, those two square off. I can't believe it's here. Real quickly, before we get to before before Carlos uh, takes over this segment with Dave, which I hope he does. <laughs> uh, after you know, at the second half of the show, Carlos, we're going to talk about Big Ten expansion, the fact that Oregon and Washington and USC and UCLA are now part of the Big Ten, which is kind of weird and interesting and <laughs> crazy, and who knows? But uh, yeah, we'll we'll get to that later. But uh, but yeah, let's get back to the Lions winning the Super Bowl and the parade coming. Oh, wow. I mean, I'm not saying that, but that's what Carl's is saying. I've, I've been amazed at the positivity lately. I, I would be, I mean, God, look, we all know, right, there's, uh, that would that would turn this town upside down, you know, if the Lions had that type of season. I mean, I, I think they're going to be a really good team. Um, I don't know, you know, I'm certainly not predicting them to be Super Bowl champs, but you win your division, you get a home playoff game. Um, you know, I guess you're uh, you're not all that far away, right? Are they going to, I mean, you know, as Sean, you know, I'm, supposedly I'm the one with the hype, but Sean wrote about the fans and the sellout first time ever, the season ticket holders and all this other stuff. I mean, but that's that's as real of a sign that these people have bought in because, I mean, buying season tickets is a big deal, but also it guarantees you get the first shot at playoff tickets, which is going to be really hard to get if they win the division and host a game, I mean, that, that place will be insane. It's, it's already gotten really loud on their way to, you know, that, that impressive uh, finish last year. I can't even imagine them hosting a playoff game at Fort field. I mean, they've been there for 20 years and uh, I mean, is that now if they win that game, that would be even crazier, but isn't there something also to, they haven't been there in a while. You know, this regime has not been there in the playoffs. It's they're winning a game's not that easy in the playoffs, right? Even if you're playing at home. Well, I I can't imagine it just because of all the extra work it would feel like. You know what I mean? That's for me. That's just <laughs> I, I would be out there by myself, much like I am in training camp oh. here all the time. Since you don't. You, it's uh, rare that I see your two smiling faces. <laughs> you see me. You've seen me a decent amount. This <laughs> I've week. I've seen you a few times for sure. Yeah. Um, Carlos has been out here like maybe four and a half hours total. So ask a question and leaves. Um, though I was happy to see him on Tuesday. Um, no, I, look, I mean, again, it's, you know, someone had asked me this question a couple of years ago, like, you know, will you, you, could you see the lions winning the super bowl in the next 10 years or something? Right. And I said, you just, you can't predict the super bowl when there's so much that has to go right for a team for something like that to happen. I mean, this is, you know, the Lions have put together a good roster and give Brad Holmes and Dan Campbell credit. You know, they they have a young nucleus. I mean, Brad's done really good with the drafts, keeping the, the talent coming, and that's really what you need is to stack one or two or three good drafts together. So, 
you know, you, you start from one level and you grow and that talent as it becomes older and starts to get paid and, and, um, you know, just gets better in the NFL. That's when you start having some playoff success. So, um, could I see the lions winning a playoff game and how difficult is it? Of course they could. And if you're at home and you look across the NFC, I mean, the lions should have one of the best rosters in the, uh, the conference. Um, that's not that, uh, you know, that's not that tall an ask. I don't think for this team, even though it hasn't happened in, in 30 years, uh, having a home playoff game, but, um, you know, it's, uh, it's a big, I think it's a big leap to go from there to, you know, planning that parade in Vegas that you guys were talking about. <laughs> Wait, the parade's not going to be in Vegas. Parade, it's going to be here. Parade after Vegas, <laughs> make, reaching Vegas and having the parade. No, I know. I, I don't, I don't have any idea, obviously. I mean, none of us do, Dave, but it's, and Carlos and I were, have, have talked about this on and off for the last couple of weeks. Just that it's, it's, what's really, it's hard to fab your point about the Super Bowl not being that far away from winning a playoff game, right? One game. Basically, right. You need three wins, right? <laughs> right. To, to yeah, and, you, and you don't think about the that. Super Bowl. Yeah, it seems like such a long journey. It seems unfathomable around here because of the history of the franchise, and that's the so the psychic leap is is enormous. It's like crossing the universe, and yeah. that's what's hard to get but, your head around. But it's really one game if you think about what the expectation is for this year to get to a whole playoff game. That's right. It's it's three wins in the postseason, stringing three really good <laughs> yeah. games together. And we've seen, you know, the Giants go from the sixth seed to doing it when they all things, you know, fell into place for them. But I will say this, and you guys know this, right, that it is a pretty big leap, you know, from being a wild card or one of those teams that squeaks into the playoffs to being, you know, a conference championship caliber team, right? You look back at the AFC playoffs last year and Okay, we knew it was going to be the Chiefs or maybe the Bengals or right. There's a handful of teams that that it was it was definitely going to be, and the Chargers made it. And did anyone really think they had a shot to reach the Super Bowl? No. So, um, you know, let's see how these next few months play out. But um, yeah, if you're winning the division and have a home playoff game, you're within spitting distance of a uh, of reaching a Super Bowl at least. I'm going to say this. I think. I think that the Lions will play in a Super Bowl in the next 10 years and and even earlier than that, like eight years, because if they keep this regime together, I think that's what should give people the most confidence. You know, that Dan Campbell has is figuring out which coaches he needs to keep, who works on his staff, how they work with players, who to hire, who isn't working when you and making a decision quickly when things aren't working and not holding on, not, you know, having this weird loyalty to, 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 to coaches and players and whatever, he's figuring that out. That's a big part of being a head coach. And Brad Holmes definitely is doing a good job acquiring talent, and he's learning his way too. He's, I mean, we'll see how the Jamison Williams thing shakes out, you know, but, but he's got to learn his way too a little bit. He, it, they're both off to good starts. If they keep this regime together... I think they have a very good chance of getting to a Super Bowl. Winning one, who knows? It's hard. It's there's it's different vagaries that would ever change the, you know, the outcome of the game. But also the big thing too is the quarterback. And that's why, you know, the question is with Jared Goff, this is essentially a contract year for him, right? I don't know if he's gonna I don't think he's gonna get extended this year, but he has to show enough. If he plays well this year, they're going to have to extend him next year in his contract, in his walk year, right? So he's playing for a lot. But if it's not Jared Goff, then you got to go find somebody. And as Brad Holmes has said, it's easier to get you know worse at quarterback than to get better, which is true of everything in life. But still, that point is valid about the quarterback. So he, I think he wants to keep – they both want to be able to keep Jared Goff if they can. They like him. They trust him. He's played well. Um, so – but that that's that that go that the quarterback position I think is going to determine a lot in the immediate future, the next few years, if they can get to a Super Bowl. But if they keep acquiring talent, if they keep coaching this way, I think they have a very good chance to get to a Super Bowl in five, six, seven within that five, six, seven, eight year. Well, you know, when you say they they have a chance to get there in ten or eight years, that tells me that you think they can get there in two because you know that's just that's the window of opportunity for teams in the NFL. It's not eight or ten years. Lions are in their window of opportunity right now. Why? Why? You know, Hutchinson's is, young. They just yeah, got but, a new running back. They have, you know, I mean, 
look, I'm just look back at the the history of the NFL, right? Unless you have Patrick Mahomes That's or a Tom big Brady, ass. That's a or big those, ass, Dave. <laughs> All right, Lomas. Um, look, the the it's not because listen, if in the history of the NFL, the only teams that have that ten year window are. Patrick Mahomes and Tom Brady in the very elite quarterbacks, and the Lions don't have Pink that right now. Manning. And they're building that that type of roster, right? Those are the type of teams that that sustain it for a decade. Otherwise, your window to win is short. And yes, the Lions have a lot of young talent, but they got to start paying that young talent next year. Amon Ross St. Brown is going to need an, a contract extension that's going to pay him $25 million a year next year. Panay Sewell, you don't have to do it next year because you have the fifth-year option on him. But Panay Sewell is going to need a contract extension. Eden Hutchinson down the road is going to need one. Jonah Jackson, uh, you know, if they're going to keep him this offseason, if they're going to keep that offensive line together, right? Taylor Decker is going to need another one before long. So the window that the Lions have to win is right now in the next, let's call it three years. And that doesn't mean that they can't extend that window a little bit. But when I look at what the Lions did this offseason, that told me that they agree with that thought because they their first four draft picks are guys that are going to contribute immediately and play in position value. Be damned. It doesn't matter if we're going to have to pay these guys in four years or five years or what's going to happen with the second contract. Brian Branch and Jameer Gibbs and Jack Campbell and Sam Laporta, all lesser positions in the NFL, but they're all going to play big roles for the Lions this year. And then, you know, signing a Teddy Bridgewater insurance piece, the Lions, Brad Holmes, Dan Campbell, they've accelerated their rebuild enough to be in their window to win right now. So the, the, I think the title of this podcast needs to be Briquette says Lions window of winning is already closing. Even though they haven't, <laughs> even, they haven't even made the playoffs, the window's closing. No, 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 but, no, no. But, it's, but this is the start of it right now. The it start is, of it. But right, right. my point is those windows don't last for eight or 10 years. No, like it's, it's, it's okay, hope. Dave. Carl's isn't really it's it's how do i say this and be nice to my my brother who i love very much here it's just not really thinking sometimes about the larger stuff and how things fit in and that's okay sean's gonna use the word zeitgeist pretty soon that that, that's okay but no but in all seriousness uh before we let you go tell tell us what you've seen from camp who's standing out you mentioned you mentioned gibbs real quickly and I, i was thinking about this yesterday Watching him and think and and think you mentioned Brad Holmes and somebody mentioned Jameson Williams. Maybe that was Carlos <laughs> Williams. May or may not work out. I don't know. Let's say he doesn't work out. The fact that Holmes went right back and moved up in the draft in the first round to get a playmaker who just coincidentally is also from Alabama. I I, I thought that was actually uh, took a tiny bit of courage in a way. You know what I mean? I just he's he's not going to shy away from being bold, making a move in the first round, despite the fact that the first time he did it, the guy may not work out at all. Yeah, and, uh, bold move. I mean, obviously, Gibbs he looks like this time. That, sorry, right? Gibbs looks like he will uh, at least provide something. No, I I mean I think your point is is fair, right? Like he, it was unconventional to take a running back at twelve, and especially Jameer Gibbs at twelve, and. You know, for that matter, I mean, Sam Laporta is you you don't see a ton of tight ends taken in the top thirty-four or a ton of inside linebackers taken in the top twenty like like Jack Campbell was. So Brad didn't, you know, care doesn't care about the narrative. And um yeah, I, I mean all those guys look this is part of I guess why um I, you know, I don't doubt that the Lions windows last more than one years and you know maybe it's a little <laughs> bit longer than I'm giving them credit for but because they have so much young talent right now Gibbs is going to play a key role you know Laporta looked pretty good in, in the joint practice uh, Tuesday against the Giants I mean they've, they've got you know Aiden Hutchinson was one of five rookies who played last year on defense and I don't know what Malcolm Rodriguez is going to become or you know how big a role Josh Paschal will have he'll be a rotational guy up front for sure but um you know, they have a couple anchors in Sewell and Hutchinson and who knows, maybe a Gibbs. Um, but they're a pretty deep roster right now. And especially when you compare it to the rest of the NFC. Yeah, I think that, I mean, to me, the window, I mean, I, I understand what you're saying. You're right. I mean, right now, I think right now what they're thinking is let's do what we can right now. Like we, let's fill these holes. You know, we've, we've added to the roster with some young players and everything. We restocked it and it's, they're still building to some extent. Um, but this is the beginning of that, you know, I think they're still just at the beginning of getting to 
be a good team. Um, So when you're just beginning that, I mean, depending on what happens to Goff, I mean, he's still, what is Goff? 28? I mean, he's still actually pretty young. (laughs) Sounds feels like he's been around forever, but he could easily have another five, six years in him where he's, you know, close to his prime. Um, or, you know, Hendon Hooker takes over, or Teddy Bridgewater takes over, you know, whatever. I mean, there there are a lot of possibilities here. And as we found out, you know, with Swift and Jamal Williams, they were were willing to just, hey, let's clean house. These guys are, you know, contracts are expiring, whatever, and we can... We can find somebody else. We can get a different free agent. We can, we can always, there's always the draft, by the way, Dave. You can always draft people and have them come in and do well for you. So, yeah. um, I think well, that, I think that the signs are there. And I don't want to crown these guys as, you know, Holmes executive of the year, Campbell coach of the year, whatever, but, but there's a lot of promise there. I think that's what gives, should give people confidence that this, the, the ship is headed in the right direction from the executive leadership forward. Um, and then it's a matter of just, you know, keep doing that. But, but you got to like those chances, right? When the best franchises that have won, you know, yes, they've had some key players in place, but it's also the personnel departments and the scouting departments and keeping those rosters churning, not always finding, you know, like the Patriots, right? Taking Kyle Van Noy, who was garbage here and turning him into like a pro bowler in new England or close to it. So being able to do that kind of stuff, I think that extends your window. Yeah, no, Carlos, you're right. I mean, Goff is, he turns 29 this fall, so he's still young, right? I mean, Jim Caldwell used to say quarterbacks get better in their 7th, 8th, ninth, 10th, 11th, 12th years. 17th year for Stafford, I think, yeah. So, and and we, you know, Goff has grown and, and improved as a quarterback, and so I, you know, I do think, you know, he's trending up, you know, he's he's in that, um, you know, that as a quarterback is, is where he's headed. I, you know, I don't know that he's ever going to reach that that level where he can absolutely carry a team and you know, that's, that's part of, you know, the next challenge, I guess, for Brad is, you know, he, Brad said something this spring about, you know, like finds drafting easy and, you know, it's easy to find players and, you know, he seems to have proven that, but the next step in this team building process is, you know, making sure that you're paying the right players and keeping the right players around. And Jared's another guy that's, you know, you're going to have to pay him. Or if you don't pay him, then you're going to have to be right on that Hendon Hooker pick. So, um, yeah, I, I, I really like where the Lions are, you know, where they've come from, the trajectory they're on. Um, you know, but uh, there are some, some obstacles, I guess, that, you know, naturally come your way in building a team in the NFL that they'll have to, he'll have to maneuver around, you know, in order to keep this thing um, and sustainable and, and in order to, to make the Lions, um, you know, this, this team that we all think they can be for, uh, you know, years to come. I just, I just, I can't think of an example where a team's been relevant and had an opportunity for a decade and, um, and not had uh, close to an all-timer or a quarterback or one of the, right. one of the best quarterbacks of the, uh, of the moment, right? right I mean, just look at, what's that? Well, Oh, you mean just looking good for a decade? Yeah, yeah that's I mean, what we were talking about earlier. The, the window being ten, you, no. Dave is absolutely right. There's no example. The closest maybe is this are the Steelers. But Roethlisberger was awfully good. And that they defense was amazing. But and they combined what you know Carl's is hoping that not hoping, but thinking the Lions might be, which is great evaluating and signing and being savvy year in and year out with the roster. But yeah. Roethlisberger was still really, really good. Right. No, absolutely. And he's probably going to be a Hall of Famer. And maybe some of that is, you know, the team's success or whatever. But you're right. You think back, uh, I mean, even in our own division that we've we've covered for, for years here, right? It was Brett Favre and Aaron Rodgers. Right. That's why Green Bay was able to sustain their success for so long. Three decades of having a first ballot, you know, Hall of Fame. Eli Manning, I mean, the Giants. Well, they weren't great every year, right? They they dipped and they were up and down. They were, and, yeah, I mean, the I, two Super fact, Bowls, I, right? But how did they? What happened in between? And that doesn't mean that they again that, that you can't have these these spikes up and down and and what happened. You know how the the success that you have and revisit it, but to be a sustainable, they won the Super Bowl when they went eleven and no, when they went uh, nine and seven as a wild card. That's when they won the Super Bowl in two thousand eleven. They didn't make the playoffs the two years before that. Right. So they, you know, and then they, they missed the playoffs like five straight years after that. So, and Hey, look, Lions fans, after 60 years of nothing, they would take that. 
but you know, it's, it's difficult. It's more difficult to sustain that over time, as Sean said, you know, without having uh, Tom Brady and Aaron Rodgers, a Patrick so, Mahomes. So, yeah, and Tom Brady and the, the Patriots, they thought they had Drew Bledsoe. That was their guy. Brady was an afterthought. And look what happened. I mean, maybe Goff is their Bledsoe, right. and maybe Hendon Hooker is their Brady, you know? Maybe. I don't know. That would, I mean, yeah. you never know. But, but before you go, because I know you got to get out, you got to get back out to practice. Tell us what you what you saw from the, the joint practice with the Giants. And just overall, who's who's made an impression on you a couple of weeks into camp here? And also, yeah, by the uh, way, balances by not just hype, but also who has struggled, who has who needs to do a little bit more. Yeah, um, you're talking about like on the writing side, who needs to pick no, up a little more slack. No, no, we both, uh, we both know. <laughs> no, uh, <laughs> look, um, you know, I mean, I, I I think it's the usual suspects, right? Amon Ross St. Brown has been great. You know, he's Jared Goff's favorite target. You know, Aiden Hutchinson is having a really good camp. He looks primed for a big season. Um, you know, if the offensive line stays healthy, that offense is going to be really good. Um, you know, this sort of maybe the the under the radar names, you know, and he's not, not quite as under the radar, but Brian Branch, I'm telling you, that guy is going to play right away and play a big role as a rookie, and he's going to play in the slot, and that's probably going to make C.J. Gardner-Johnson play as a deep safety a little bit more than maybe the Lions envisioned when they signed him because Brian Branch is just always around the ball doing the right things. Maybe that means fewer snaps for Tracy Walker. But, you know, I think Brian Branch has been a, a real standout early on. Two undrafted rookies who have a pretty good shot of making the team are Starling Thomas, cornerback, and Dylan Drummond, the wide receiver. They both continue to pop, you know, even held their own against the Giants in the first joint practice. You know, the biggest concern for me, I guess, is is probably the receiving core. I just, after Amon Ross St. Brown, you know, Khalif Raymond has been the second best receiver. Um you know, we'll see what Jamison is when he comes back, you know, after six games. But I just, I don't, I don't, it wouldn't surprise me if it's Jameer Gibbs and Sam Laporta, if those two guys end up being like the Lions second and third game receivers. And no, that's a tall task. For you read us. my column. This is awesome. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, really, there's, there's just a lot of, you know, unanswered questions at that position. Josh Reynolds, Marvin Jones, Denzel Mims veterans but you know marvin's at the backside of his career and you know josh reynolds has had kind of a quiet camp and um yeah so i you know the other the other thing that could throw a you know wrench in the works and this is the case every year but an offensive line and specifically to that or i'm sorry an injury and specifically to that offensive line because you know the lions you know jerry goff was the Lions were very good when blitzed last year, but Jared Goff was like one of the worst quarterbacks in the NFL when actually under pressure. And so a lot of that is just because the offensive line is so good. And so they they need to make sure that that thing, they've got six really good players up there, you know, that they uh, they keep that thing healthy and, and humming because that's that's really the key to their offense. To Carl's point, though, who who's, what'd you say, it's struggled? Who's not? I mean, obviously, Jamison Williams is, is trying to find his way. But yeah. anybody else? Well, no, I mean, look, Jamo was, you know, the drops have been a real thing at times. You know, he's a body catcher. He's not a hand catcher. And so, you know, he's got a, some of those things show up in camp. And that's kind of why you wonder, like, is he ever going to live up to his potential? It's very early. Certainly, you know, I wouldn't write him off. I don't think anyone should. Um, but, you know, he's, he has more to prove. That, that, that unit in general, that's, you know, I guess I'm saying that maybe that's a, a weak link just because no one has jumped out yet. You know, Josh Reynolds has had a quiet camp. Marvin Jones was hurt to start, you know, training camp. So um, that's a big question. I mean, I don't, wouldn't say he struggled necessarily, but like players that have been on this roster for a year or multiple years and been in bigger roles in the past that um, won't have as, excuse me, as bigger roles or maybe face uncertain futures. You know, Malcolm Rodriguez is probably their fourth linebacker right now and he started last year. And maybe that speaks to the depth more than like a, a real fall off in his play. But, um, you know, I think it's Anzalone's a starter and then either Derek Barnes or, or Jack Campbell. Um, you know, Julian Aquara is a guy who he's going to have to show something here the last couple of weeks to make sure he makes the roster. Um, you know, hasn't struggled, same thing, but just, you know, doesn't pop like maybe you hope so James Houston has, has been running with the twos and again that speaks to the depth right Charles is Har Charles Harris is back but maybe some people when last season ended looked at the Lions and all those rookies they had playing and said wow James Houston is going to be a starting pass rusher and Malcolm Rodriguez is going to be a starting linebacker and and now they're going to be backups and um, you know again I don't I don't think that's a bad thing I, I think that speaks to what you know Brent 
Brad and Dan have have built here. Carlos, anything yeah. else before we let let our fellow go? No, I just uh, you know I appreciate his time. I think uh, you know, and mostly I appreciate that he had he found uh, earbuds with a microphone. So was, that was uh, <laughs> I thought he was going to show up ten minutes late without earbuds and say I'll give you three minutes and I got to go to practice. And I've re- how many stories have you already written? It's in the morning now, but. Three stories? None, no, 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 none today okay. yet. But I, I did transcribe Dan before I uh, hopped on here because that way I can head right out to practice and <laughs> and uh, you know nothing. He didn't say anything newsworthy. So Wednesday morning, quiet morning so far. He, oh, by well, the way, the, the, my one of my favorite things was Tuesday, the beginning of the of the joint practices with the Giants. One of the very few times I've been to Allen Park this year, Dave. Uh, right. He was I'm vibrating. aware, believe me. Yeah, he was vibrating. <laughs> I think he was going to break that podium. I mean, he was he was out of breath. It felt like he'd probably done like a hundred up downs before he came in. He was the he most was stoked, charged man. up I've uh, ever seen him. No doubt, he was excited for joint practices. And I'll tell you what, though, guys, like watching that that the first day of practice, like, and Dan said somebody asked him today, like, do you coach energy in your team? And he said, no, that's just the type of players we have. But whether he coaches it or it rubs off, or that's what they have. Like you could see it from the Lions players. Absolutely. They, they would make a play. You know, the offense makes a play. There's there's 15 defensive players on the field celebrating with them. And I, I maybe I wasn't following the Giants quite as close, but I didn't see that from the Giants. No, and so that's, I didn't that's the sort of the, you know, it's the vibe. It's the that's the way they walk with their chest out now, right? Knowing that they're good. That's the energy that they have. Um, a lot of that is due to Dan. A lot of that is due to those players. But um but I mean, it's that's part of the reason why I buy into what the Lions. But it's are. also interesting that comes from Dan, but it also comes from Aaron Glenn. It, an offense isn't quite the same because uh, Ben Johnson is not that. He's the most subdued guy there is. And they, you don't see that excitement quite from the offense as much as you see from the defense, which, you know, yeah, maybe they're mirrors of their coach that way. And Dable, Dable is about as chill of a coach as you find. So. Watch the the, the, the Giants well, are going to win the Super Bowl now. Watch. I think defensive players in the NFL, you know, you gotta you gotta be a little special to play defense in yeah. the NFL because man, it's so violent, right? You gotta love that contact and that physicality, and so maybe that comes with offense and defense in general. But Ben Johnson, when they hit that one touchdown uh, yesterday, it might have been the one to Jameer Gibbs. You know, he was fist pumping, and it everyone was. was pretty excited about that one. It was. So they're. They just the way the Lions are carrying themselves right now. It's different. They they know they're a good team and they expect to be contending for the Super Bowl. It's it's different. I, I mean, I, we talked about it at, during the practice. Uh, I mentioned to you, Dave. I said, just, there's there's just so much life on the sideline. It looked. I thought about writing about it, but I but I didn't want to because you know how your mind you, you plays tricks sometimes and you start comparing to things that get a little fuzzy in your memory. But it just it it was noticeable. It was noticeable, mm-hmm. and uh, and and clearly there's some carryover from Carlos's point about Campbell at the podium to that team. He has some kind of effect on them, whether it's intent, yep. whether it's intentional or not. I mean, because they were hopping around. And you're right. It's the body language and how they're carrying themselves. You know, we'll we'll see what hap- how you know how they handle if they you know have their tough stretch of the season, which they surely will. But in any case, all right, man. Thanks, uh, thanks for joining us. Uh, we miss uh, you know you're in a studio with some foam on the walls, soundproofing, which is nice. Remember when you and Carlos and I used to squeeze in there for videos? That's right. Back when uh, you know. That was uh, yeah a different a different era. But uh, in any case, we'll see you soon in Allen Park. All right, we look we look forward maybe, to getting maybe. You back here one of these days. I'll see you guys in November, no doubt. No, so, no, no, no. We'll no, see, Sean, we'll I'll, see I'll see you. Yeah, I'll see you in October. Well, of course, Probably you'll see next me. And we'll, we'll we'll see you soon. We'll get you back in there in the podcast real soon, right. and uh, we'll be right back with more free press sports with Carlson and Sean. Just going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to Free Press Sports with Carl Sean. That was uh, 
It was a great conversation as always, Carlos. Um, you were wrong. I don't. I hate to be the one to point that out, but but Dave just makes a lot of great points. I think he made great points that totally submarine what you were talking about. I mean, he's always he's always just on point. He's always on my side, Sean. You know that. I mean, he pretends to like you more, but he knows I'm right. So at the least, the listener can decide. So so we're saying that uh, we shouldn't have him on anymore because he's disingenuous. He's pretending. Is that what you're saying? He's pretending to like you, like most of us. So yeah. That's what you. If that's the, if you're that insecure about how much you need to be liked, sure we can. We no, can no, no. Him. I'm just saying. I, it's amazing to me. You think he's not authentic, but uh, after that performance that he just put on. By the way, do you uh, do you uh, do you really think the Lions are going to win the Super Bowl? Of course, why not? Actually, you know what? It was funny. I was looking up these uh, the stats and or betting things, whatever it was, and they were like I don't know where they are, like seventh or eighth best like they have the best odds to win the super bowl which which uh, of course the odds are really it's not doesn't it doesn't really mean that they have statistically that great a chance it's just the betting it's just how many people are drinking the kool-aid and betting on that team yes it has something to do with performance and expectation but it's mostly to to reduce the risk for the for the sports books is what a lot of that comes out to i think especially in the lions case where they haven't really even been to the playoffs so uh but could happen. Could happen. What do you think? You you already have your Super Bowl party ready to go, right? Yeah. No. No. I, yeah. I don't know. It's it's like it's like we were talking about in the last segment. They're uh, not only they're going to get to the Super Bowl, they're going to win it, and uh, we're not going to know what to do with ourselves. No, I don't. I don't know if I said that or not. I can't remember. We got uh, we got so wrapped up uh, there. Oh, okay. But speaking of odds, speaking of odds, um, and speaking of hype. Michigan comes in ranked uh, number two. And as we said at the top of the show, we're going to talk about the Big Ten and the Big Ten expansion and and um, and why some of these pack, uh, formerly Pac-12 teams want to be part of the Big Big Ten. And it's because of schools like Michigan and, of course, Ohio State, to some degree, Penn State, and just the interest in this part of the country. College football just plays differently here. And, and um, you know, it's I was thinking about this the other day, Carlos, because I was at Schembechler Hall, and the players there, J.J. McCarthy spoke, they, they all have one goal, and that's to, to get back to the playoff and, and, and win it. And um, and I know this doesn't have – we'll get to the expansion here in a second, but I was just – I wanted your thoughts real quick on where they're ranked. Is number two justified to you? Is it is it, as Blake Corm said, title or bust this year, national title or bust? And by the way uh, – I was at Schembechler thinking, I can't remember the last time Michigan had this kind of expectation, and they feel like an afterthought because the Lions are going to win the Super Bowl. <laughs> and it's, 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 uh, not it, to it Michigan kinda, fans who are Lions high. fans. No, no, for sure. And they're all over the country, and there are plenty of them here, probably, although probably not too many Michigan fans that are here that are also Lions fans, but they're certainly spread around the country. But, but it's interesting. You don't, you don't often see a team. A Michigan team is good, at least at this point. Maybe it'll change once the games play, but I'm just curious what, what your thoughts are. Oh, no, they're, I mean, I think I mean, Michigan's been right there, you know? The, the, I mean, the CFP, right, um, last year and, and the year before that. And they're, I mean, the Big Ten titles are going to go for their, they've never won three straight Big Ten titles in a row, so they're doing that. I mean, they're, they're humming. They've been, you know, kicking uh, or punching Ohio State in the in the kisser. I mean, they're, they're going on all cylinders, you know, and I, but but this doesn't come out of nowhere. I mean, this has been going on for the last two years. Now they're entering their third, and I think you know, as uh, as you wrote that love letter, JJ McCarthy, you know, pointing out pointing out what most people did not understand is that quarterbacks need to use their arm to win games. Um, you know, very does Jim Harbaugh call. does Jim Harbaugh understand that, or is he going to wait until the end of the year to let yeah, his when he reaches college, like he'll that. understand that probably. But yeah, let, think, let, yeah. Let, J, let JJ be JJ, right? I mean. Uh, from what we saw, you know, he should if he if he takes the the restrictor plate off a little bit, right? You're you're right, you're right. He needs to That's be able key. to yeah. let him throw downfield more. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I you know, no, I think people are really excited, and I mean, you know, Lions. Hey, all the hype, all the whatever. Let's see if they actually win the division. You know, it's not exactly. I don't think it's going to be quite the cakewalk. People think no, we still have the Vikings. No. Of course um, not. Oh, no, as Jared Goff pointed out, your guy. My guy, right? yeah. 
who yeah. you don't think gets enough respect, as we as we talked about in the as the, in the first segment of this uh, it's just warm and beautiful show. I think uh, <laughs> I, I think. Oh God, now you, you're confusing me here, Carlos. But the point is, McCarthy needs to throw a little bit more, and I think that's the that's the emphasis in training camp, as you talked about the other day, right? So. They've been working on the pass game a lot more because against the best defenses, you have to be able to throw the ball. You just, you just do. Well, I mean, do you think, I mean, at number two, just behind Georgia, I mean, is that, do you think that's too too low? I mean, how, what, where should they be? I mean, uh, it makes sense to me. I mean, one, two, three, four. I mean, come on. It's, it's, you're just splitting hairs at that point. But uh, I, yeah, I mean, I think, let me put it this way I think people would be more surprised. If Michigan didn't get to the to the college football final at least, then they would if uh, then they would if they didn't get there at all, or they would be more surprised probably that Michigan they'd be less surprised for Michigan winning the national title less surprised than if the Lions got to the Super well if the Lions I guess they'd be less surprised if the Lions if the Lions uh, didn't win a playoff game because they haven't won one yet. And they're still, that's still a little bit of a hurdle. Um, but I know, I mean, I mean, I'm sure the free press loves to do their books. You're probably already writing the, the preface or whatever to our free press, you know, Wolverines, 2023 would, college. Already, football it's, champs. it's already written. It's right. already written. I mean, yeah. I haven't written it, but it's, it's, it's baked into the system. Yeah. You're, right. you're, uh, I mean, what do you think? I mean, it's, it, and is it, I mean, you know, Blake Corum, you know, national title or bust, come on. If they get there, if they get to the championship game, yes, of course you want to win it, but just getting into that tournament, you know, even though it's going to expand, you know, it, just getting in that tournament says a lot about you're in the elite class and getting into the semis or the final, you know, says even more about you. Michigan fans have to be happy. I mean, it's so hard to win the national championship. You know, when TCU kind of comes out of nowhere, sort of, and gets there, uh, you know, a, a lot of different things can happen at that point in the season. Guys who aren't playing and, you know, whatever, don't want to hurt their NFL stock, this and that. Um, not too many of those when you get to that level, I think, but still there are some. There's some injuries, other vagaries, you know, opponents, unfamiliar opponents, all these different things and you get to that level and that part of the season a long season at that point for these guys so i think you'll be happy if you're a michigan fan you know get us to the cfp we're 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 gonna write that check it's just amazing how much it's changed psychologically the last couple of years and the way they're thinking about i mean you know they beat ohio state twice oh yes you know the the win on the road yeah the win on the road was really so it was really, yeah, no, it was really something, um, and I think that's that's definitely changed things. And the uh, the expectations there are there have always been expectations, but the, the the way they feel, I think, for a lot of Michigan fans are different, and and that's uh, and that's fun for them, and it's it's uh, it's fun for us in a way. But look, um, enough about Michigan. We're talking about Michigan all fall. The, the, the bigger story here, at least nationally. And maybe even locally is the is the Big Ten expansion. Our our uh, colleague and pal Graham Couch, up at the Atlantic State Journal, wrote the other day that the Big Ten is basically just a bully. Yeah, and pick, and picking off uh, picking off the uh, the best the biggest brand names out of the Pac-12. We've seen other national writers talk about it's just based on greed and um, incompetent conference commissioners. Um, the fact that the NCA is is sort of toothless and all this that there's no one body that can plan out and get together and organize. It's just sort of a haphazard uh, system that's with the television networks at the top that they're dictating how they want everything to be aligned and who they want to broadcast and that it's all money, 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 greed, 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 and um, or bully, as uh, Graham wrote. I, I'm just, what are, what are your thoughts on the fact that all of a sudden big, the Big Ten is, let's, let's just remind everybody, USC and UCLA agreed to this last year. They're coming in next year. Now Oregon and Washington um, are coming in with them next year. So that's four teams uh, on the West Coast. Yeah, I mean, Graham Ray wrote a really good column, very interesting. He gets into the money, you know, and and that is what this is all about. And it's really, you know, growing up on the West Coast with that, the Pac-10 in my day, and in my day, people talked about the Pac-8, but it was the Pac-10 when I grew up. And to see what ha- is happening to that conference is sad. And I have friends out there and 
you know, big UCLA fans, big USC fans, people who went to those schools and my family, my friends, all that. And, and uh, it's tough, you know, I mean, I think that, you know, nobody's so naive now to think that there was no way that this could ever happen. And these conferences are, are sacred and no, nothing will ever change. I mean, you have Col- you had Colorado and, and Utah State in the, in the, you know, Pac-12. So it, things change and people understand that. But this is such a fractured idea. And and I know you've written about that a lot and it's just a plane ride and this and that, and you're still going to have the marching band that you won't care, you know, and I always counter that with just imagine if you, if Michigan and Michigan State got plucked out and were out in the, if they were sent to the Pac-12, you know, and it just would be different. It wouldn't, it doesn't feel right in many ways in my gut. Um, But this is, this is the wild west. I mean, NIL is part of this, but also the streaming rights. I mean, as as we go through this writer strike right now, that's all about you know fair pay and compensation through these streaming services. Nobody knows what to do. The system is is changing for television, for movies. Uh, when you have a lot more different you know media out there, uh, streaming services. I mean, no, that, that hasn't shaken out, and it, it it may take a while for that to happen. So I think people are kind of you know, and the Pac-12 has had, they haven't had the best, I think, guidance under their commissioner. They haven't had the right, I mean, I think Graham got into this, that they were maybe going to strike a deal with Apple TV for TV rights, broadcast rights. And now they're only getting 50% share of the media rights deal this year. But in the next one, or not not this year, but in this current deal, and then it'll get to a full share after this, people are trying to grab the money while they can, you know. But, I mean, I think... Cal and Stanford are probably going to join uh, the ACC. I mean, it's just nutty. It just doesn't. I mean, that's even more of an atrocity. Uh, it just doesn't make sense to me anymore. And I, you know, it's one of the reasons I just I'm not never been a big college fan. Is a lot of this is built on that idea of the you know, uh, purity, sanctity of college football, the college experience, all that. And there is something to that. If you've been a kid in college, if you can remember that time, if whatever it is, you know, it, it does feel a little pure, at least it used to. And now it's just what it was really has turned into and has been for a long time is, you know, professionalism, semi-professional to professionalism for the revenue sports. So, uh, it's hard to watch. I don't like it. Um, I think it dilutes the product. There's no reason for the big... I think the Big Ten at the bottom of it was, we need to... If we don't get bigger, we risk getting smaller. You know, And it's just going to be the SEC and the Big Ten, and that's it pretty soon. Um, you know, Maybe the Big 12 will hang on a little bit longer than anybody else, but it's going to be a two... Maybe they'll just get rid of conferences. I don't know. It's, just, it's such a weird, fractured um, system now. Uh, broken i think in many ways but it's sad but but you don't care right you get to go out to la you're already planning you already booked your your uh your plane trip to uh, seattle and portland so you're happy right uh no it's not that i'm i'm happy and I, and you're right i don't uh, it's not that i don't care i just have different ideas about it than uh, a lot of folks i don't think the big 10 is a bully at all and i, I think it's just driven by this yeah excuse me this idea of amateurism which it's romantic for a lot of people, this idea of innocence and purity because, because of amateurism and that they, they weren't playing. And, you know, uh, our colleague, uh, Reiner Saban, who uh, jumped on the hype train with Michigan, by the way. So now you know it's really serious. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, he, he, was, he was trying to argue that, I shouldn't say it like that, he was making the point that, that from his perspective that, um, you know, that, it used to be that if you were a student on the campus, you weren't you weren't that far removed from the football players, right? Because they weren't, I mean, they were they were sort of like you, and that there was a connection there, and that that, that was part of it. And and I understand that to a degree. I went to a football school for a while, at the University of Texas, and it, and the games are fun. But if we're if if we're being realistic about how this has been supported for decades, it's not to feel good students that are on campus and to some degree it's not even the alumni although they're the ones that provide the donor money for the most part it's television network right it's the television networks and it's who's watching the games in michigan and you know Ryder worked in alabama i've worked in alabama 
the, the, the majority of people in that state that love that team did not go to that school. That's the case with Michigan fans here. With Michigan State fans, it might be a little bit different. But in other words, college football is not supported by just the alumni and the students. That's not a big enough percentage of the population. It would not survive as a national uh, sport the way it has without interest from non uh, non uh, t- attending fans, right? So sure. that's really what this is about. When I hear the word greed thrown around, yeah, of course it's about money, but but greed for whom? There are no stockholders here. I mean, this isn't. A, I mean, this isn't about shareholders and, and price. And but believe me, there's plenty of that in this country that we could question. You know, I had a, a friend of ours, a mutual friend of ours. I'm not going to mention his name here, but make the point the other day that college football is a lot like our healthcare system. It's <laughs> it's it's messy, and it's not that efficient, and it's unique. You know, there's no other place like like it in the world that has a healthcare system like this. I know a lot of folks here think that it's the best, but it's not. Not according to outcomes. There are plenty of studies that show there are more efficient, better ways to do it. But it's so entrenched how we're going to fix it. College football is a lot like that. No other culture attaches that level of sport and money to a place where we're going to say, okay, go learn how to be, bath- be a mathematician or a teacher or a history uh, you know, buff or whatever, you know, a musician. We're, we're sending young people to these places to try to become productive members of society. And oh, by the way, we're going to attach billion-dollar sports to them. We're the only ones in the world that do it. And it's a mess. And it's always been a mess. And we've lied. I, lied is maybe a little strong, but we've fibbed to ourselves about what it's always been in order to enjoy it in order to enjoy what has essentially been an exploitative system where two sports, primarily one sport in football, has supported all the other sports on campus, especially in places like Michigan. And when it's not supported, like let's say take Eastern Michigan, for example, their football program comes out of the general fund, as do all, all the sports. So there are plenty of universities like that where we're pulling money out of the general fund of the university to give scholarships when we Maybe it could be giving them to folks that don't have the means that just have good, good, good grades or whatever. It's just, it's really, really messy. And so for people to get up in arms about this, I, I, I mean, I, I get it in a way because of the, the rose colored glasses they've always been looking at this sport at, but, but well, I don't have the, I don't have the same feeling. And we've, we've talked about this before as far as that, you know, the Perebni sports and college football, especially. Basketball too. It's it's a marketing tool for the universities. I mean, it's there's there's money to be made. Obviously, you know there has been always. You know through through media deals and whatever. But even if you're not a big marketing, you know, uh, glory program, if you're a mid major like like Eastern Michigan, it's part of that whole like, hey, this is how we get students in here. We have we give them something more. We give them a sense of, uh, you know, attachment to a university that can be passionate, something you'd be proud of. You know, we talked about this before with the Doug Flutie effect at Boston College, where, you know, when they, when he played for them in that big pass and it was exciting, their applications like tripled or whatever. So that leads to, you know, more enrollment, you know, more contributions, higher tuition, all that. Keep that system strong, keep the enrollment going, you know, so it's all part of a marketing tool. And that's why, you know, yeah, maybe we've lied, we've, we've believed the lie for so long that the universities are really good at promoting that, Hey, this is all rah, rah and Sundays or Saturdays in the fall on campus and cheerleaders and all this other stuff. They've done a really, they've had a focused goal of trying to promote that They've been largely successful. And when you go to the games and sports are emotional, you know, you don't think about hmm, maybe this is part of a big system of greed or whatever. Uh, you're just there to root for your school and it's died in the wool, whether and whether you went to, to Michigan or not. And it's the same with a lot of big, you know, blue blood programs. Um, you grow up in an area you're you're you just grow up either with an attachment from a family member or friend or whatever it is or regional and that's your team and you cannot shake it it's just in your blood you cannot forsake the college team that either you went to or grew up rooting for or your family did so uh it, you know there, it's, there's just no way to take the the rose-colored glasses off at this point we're so far down the rabbit hole with this um but the product now is changing so 
so much that I don't know, people might think like, does this make any, I mean, does Rutgers and the big 10 make any sense? You know, does Oregon make any sense in the big, it just doesn't. I mean, Penn state barely makes sense to me in the big 10, but I, it just, things will change. Maybe people won't care. Maybe it is just about television rights. And if it's a national brand, who cares? Yeah. You get used to it, right? Like Texas. I remember when Texas A&M joined the sec. I mean, that, that was, that's different, right? It's wrong. It's wrong. I mean, when I was at the University of Texas, the the conference was um, the Southwest Conference, and most of, most of the schools were in Texas. I'm trying to remember who else was in that outside of Texas. Uh, Arkansas, I think, was in Oklahoma, and, right? Uh, no, Oklahoma no. was not. They were in the Big Eight with Nebraska. Oh, Big Eight, uh, okay. Which is now the Big Twelve. But yeah, no. It's, so it's been that part of it's changed, and I, I think it's just you know adding that extra distance is what. But it's, again, because of the nature of how it's run, it depends on, and I wrote about this, it depends on eyeballs on the screens and to some degree, you know, seats in the stands. UCLA has 30,000 empty seats. So they did last year, almost most Saturdays, right? Oh, it's terrible. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, so what are we talking about in the Pac-12 or Pac-10 as you used to know it? (laughs) Uh, USC and Oregon and Washington. And that's really it in terms of just where football really, really matters. But overall in the West Coast, it's a lot like the East Coast, especially the Northeast. College football just doesn't matter that much. You know, and, and, no. it, and it is sad it, it is sad for those few fan bases out there that love football because there are a few of them. But it's nowhere near like it is here, especially like it is in the South. It reminds me a little bit of, I mean, the, the the Big East was a great, great basketball conference, and they were uh, uh, culturally they were really, really relevant. Right in the eighties, with Georgetown sure. and St. John, and that was a different era for college basketball when they produced three and four year stars. Um, you know, that were on the cut back when we used to have magazines and stands, and you you know you'd see Patrick Ewing and Chris Mullen and Mark Jackson, and you know on and on and on and on of that era. You remember? Of you course. might have a key, a team going up against Ewing or whatever. That th- that's gone now, right? The Big yeah. East is not. I the mean, death of the it, Big East. There was a great documentary about that on ESPN. Yeah, yeah. And so, what have people done? I mean, they move on. I, I mean, I, I it just and I think that'll happen with this too. You now, you could argue: is it great if you play lacrosse or field hockey and you got to fly across the country now or swim or whatever? Um, maybe not, and maybe it's not fair for the students that have as Graham pointed out in his column, that have signed up right this second. Right. But moving forward, they're going to know what they're getting into. So maybe yeah. there are a couple of years here for students that are on the – and I understand that. And, you know, you have some empathy for that. But I would have bet a lot of them are excited too, Carlos. I mean, it's it's fun to try something new. You're young to go see to go see different places. Also, remind, remind yourself at most of these places where football is the – support or just about everything else just just how really unfair that's been and i don't want to make this i want to go down too far this rabbit hole but i was talking about this with a with a colleague not recently football majority at the highest level and basketball the percentage of black versus white athletes earning the money of those athletic departments then turn around and support and all these other olympic style sports on these campuses that are 95% 95% white. That's, you know, we, we don't talk about that much. These these folks, are, and, and and by the way, they're playing a, 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 the most violent game we have, and up until a couple of years ago, weren't getting, it, weren't getting paid for it in a billion-dollar business. You can say they had scholarships, and that's fine. They did, but that's nowhere near. So it's just, there's always, to me, there's been some uneasiness in these arrangements that we just gloss over and don't look at. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. That we, we, you go to a campus and you got this kid over here playing this game, bringing in this kind of money, helping support this kid over here, you know, and the social aspects of that, the, the demographics are, they're not pretty sometimes. They're not. And it's also, I mean, it's so complicated because also those athletes in the revenue sports have a chance to go be millionaires right out of college, you know, so the best that's ones, why yeah. they're there. Yeah. You yeah. know, is, exactly. yeah, you get an education, but you have an incredible opportunity to, you know, for yourself and, and, uh, you know, hit the lottery. So, and, and who, Carlos, who else benefits from that? Right. I mean, I mean the NFL and the NBA. 
Of course, right. they don't have to have minor league systems. They don't yeah, exactly. I mean, the NBA has a little bit more one than 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 the NFL, but still, right? I mean, yeah. it's, they're yeah. taking advantage of the situation too. Yeah, they I can't wait. Free, I can't wait to read your piece in the Economist. <laughs> they got free ready-made stars. I mean, I look. I get it. Romanticism is a powerful thing. I remember. I remember uh, when concussions started becoming part of the discussion in football and trying to make the game safer. I remember sitting in the press box. This is twelve years ago, fifteen years ago. It, it maybe, maybe, maybe ten years ago. Sitting next to a, a former colleague in a college press box, a college football game in a press box. And we're talking about concussions, and and he was trying to make the point that that co- for him college football wasn't as it was easier to watch because you you knew most of the players weren't going to go on to uh, the NFL and weren't going to keep getting their heads bashed in. So somehow he didn't mind it as much. Like he was getting at that point, he was starting to get uncomfortable with the NFL because of the concussions and the damage that a lot of the athletes feel when they retire, and that somehow with college it's only a few years, and so. My point with that is that he was kind of thinking of college football as more pure. And that's right. There's so many different ways we just attach this idea of innocence to these youngsters. And it's got to do with amateurism. And I think that's why some people are upset. But Carlos, let me ask you this. I've seen lots of reaction from folks. And these are probably from fans that didn't go to the schools but love the love the programs. Saying, oh, this is going to be great. It's going to be fun watching them play Oregon. You know, it's going to be fun watching them play Washington regularly or UCLA, UCLA. I mean, they'll rotate. It won't be every year, but you know what I mean? Yeah, there's some to do it. I think the the first time, and I'm sure the, the schools, I mean, UCLA, I don't know what their television numbers are because it is it is the biggest um, school um, in California. Um, so you have a lot of alumni, a lot of fans, of course, as well. But the TV, I mean, when Michigan, when UCLA plays Michigan for the first time, you know, the novelty of it, that will be interesting, but it'll wear off pretty fast, I think. And it's just, you need a, you need some kind of sustained rivalry. And they're just, we talked, you've talked about that before, the cultural differences of the, you know, Seattle and Portland versus, uh, you know, uh, Nebraska and, uh, you know, State College and Columbus, you know, there's just, they're different worlds. And it will take a long time before any of that stuff really kind of, um, seeps into the blood and the culture of the, of the, you know, sports rivalries, but for sure. um, Yeah. It'll be interesting the first few times. So, but I think it'll wear off. Yeah, it it probably will. Well, look, again, to me, the bottom, the bottom line is that college football is not, is waning in certain parts of the country and the PAC 12 in particular, and the football schools in that conference could feel that and, wanted to be part of it and the networks are happy to drive it and maybe are driving it because they want the best they want the most viewers they can get right Right. so you can call that greed it's also just business yeah trying to figure out how to put games on that people want to watch that's really what this is all about right and and there's collateral damage there's no question yeah there's no question but to call this evil is is a little and not that you have but uh is a little ridiculous just just trying to survive like everybody else, trying to figure out. You you mentioned the the what's going on with streaming, and Hollywood and all of that, and it's a mess. At the same time, we've never had better content. <laughs> I mean that, that right? Absolutely. <laughs> I mean that, it's it, it's funny. All right, let's uh, let's take a quick break. Uh, we went a little long there. We'll come back with some we'll wrap this show up with uh, with uh, your favorite thing, and I'll skip mine just for time. And plus, I don't want to bore anybody anymore. You never have any favorite things. Yes, let's do yeah, it. Yeah. All right. We'll be right back with more Free Press Sports with Carlson Show. Just going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to Free Press Sports with Carlos and Sean. It's that time of the show, Carlos. Your favorite thing, Sean. Your favorite, Your thing, favorite thing. Which is my Let, favorite. Which is lay it listening out there, to man. my favorite thing. <laughs> lay it out there, man. Let's hear it. This one's easy. Uh, last week, 
I discovered the power of pink, Sean. No, not the Barbie movie, though. I watched that too. And it was excellent. Um, but we, uh, as you know, our co-ed softball team for the free press, we've had a, this season's been kind of tough. We've had a bunch of uh, power outages and rainouts and all these other things. And, and I've been unavailable for a game or two. So I played on my first game of the summer season. It was like, I don't know what it was, our fifth game of the year. We only played like eight. So I was happy to see everybody again. But because I wasn't there uh, the fir- for the first game, that's when they hand out the T-shirts for the season. And I show up, and everybody's got a pink shirt on. So so, so a captain, our, our uh, backup uh, substitute captain, um, Heather, <laughs> decided to pick pink shirts. <laughs> and I was like, I don't know if I can do this. I don't know if I can, can I muster my, my, my anger, my, my animus, my everything that like, you know, makes me want to play hard or whatever, a competitive spirit wearing a, just a very light pastel pink. Um, but it was actually, it was freeing Sean and it was a lot of fun. We lost, we lost, I think it was 12 to eight, but actually we made a nice comeback. Uh, your BFF, Mike Elric, uh, uh, had struggled with some walks, but he 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 rallied, got some strikeouts. Wait, wait, wait! wait. I thought you BFF. were my BFF. We were, we're both your BFF. Come on. But anyway, it was it was a fun game, and it was fun to wear pink, and I embraced it. Uh, so the power of pink, uh, it's a real thing, and hopefully this week we uh, we get the W. But even if we don't, I just want to play well and have fun, which is exactly what we did last week. My favorite thing is uh, well, I like that, Carlos. My favorite thing, I'll, I'll be brief. Is well, it was hard to pick. 1B would be hanging out with you at a practice, watching a game, and it's the sun, uh, you know, right? Nice, not too hot, warm, but not too hot. I'm talking about a Lions practice course at training camp. Uh, we've missed each other there for whatever reason since the start of it. So we finally get to hook up and hang out, and, uh, and uh, you know, you were in awe of Jared Goff, and that was that was interesting. If you're, you're, you're like, like you mentioned at the top of the show or close to the top of the show, uh, you know, he doesn't get his, his flowers, but to know, so that was, that was going to be my favorite thing, but I, but I, I got, I'm going to go with this. You, you wrote, I thought a really fun, interesting column about golf and a very analytical column. And you, uh, talked about approach and swing and, and how to play it and, and I'm sorry, the name of the course escapes me. Maybe, maybe you can help me out with the that. Orchards but, uh, in Washington Township. Okay, there we go. But I just, I lo- just loved it. I was like, oh, there, you know, I, I learned something. I, oh. I learned something, and that's what I, and that's what I enjoyed the most. And uh, and that was cool. I've been, I've been uh, privately and even publicly to some degree pleading with you to lay that knowledge out there, and uh, and uh, and you did. And so that was definitely my favorite thing. It's funny because when I was writing all that stuff about the, you know, the variety of shots and this and that, I was like, oh, man, I feel like Sean Windsor when I'm writing this. I need to delete this right now. And I was like, no, I can't let him get into my head. Some of the people want to read this. It's, it's a little nerdy, whatever. I'll leave it in. But if I ever write, you know, uh, what do you like to write? Uh, 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 fluid hips or whatever you like to write in basketball and all that and soft hands and a good great handle and this if i ever do that sean just just you know i deserve to be sanctioned or uh or chastised by our editor no but i thank think you. Uh, i think that would be i think that would be great i think that would be great all right let's uh let's thank the people we need to thank starting with robin chan who's uh been patiently listening to this for what probably to him seems like hours you know what i mean never says a word never complains Everything. just makes the. Uh, yeah, he does. Makes this show as uh, as good as it can be. So we definitely want to thank him, the the producer and the and the the main cog on all this, Robin Chan. Who else? Uh, Kirkland Crawford, the sports editor. Anjanette Delgado, the editor. No, right? Yeah, I don't know. They changed the titles uh, all the time. She's executive editor, I think. Executive editor, right? And then who else do we need to thank? What do you think, Nicole? Nicole Avery Nichols, our main editor. So you're gonna get in yes, trouble. Yeah. This is why we're gonna get canceled. She's, she's not the executive editor. She's the she's the editor. She's the editor, which makes no sense. You think executive is higher, but it you know it's perfect journalism. Yeah, no editor it, it of the free never, press. Yeah, right, right, right. So it's like uh, George Carlin's old routine about word evolution and change and how they lose their power. You know, we, in, in in war, soldiers used to experience shell shock, and then it became post traumatic stress disorder. 
right? So it just we, we, we get lost in the loop of the language and get who knows what Gannett's trying to do. I don't know. Content uh, machines or <laughs> whatever. I don't know. God love my guess. Or, or not. Who knows? I guess it depends on your, your point of view. But we're here because of them, so we should just, uh, I should stop talking and just thank these people and move on, right? We're, are and we t- done thanking people? I'm yeah, where do we find the show? That's what anybody, nobody, let's, everybody Let's thank about. you for putting up with this. And you find the show at Apple, wherever you find your favorite podcast, Apple, Spotify, obviously subscribe. I mean, maybe it's not obvious, but please subscribe and uh, give us a rating, give us a shout, let us know what you think. Anything else, Carlos? Are we missing anything else? Nope, we'll have Rickhead on for the uh, the next time for the Super Bowl uh, triumph. Yeah, so we're gonna wait. We're gonna we're not gonna have him back on again until January, February, whenever that is. February, yeah. Okay, well, we should be so lucky. All right, man, it was fun as always, and uh, until next week when we're back with more Free Press Sports with Carlson Show. Just going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts.